the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would all the kids and teens up through the 12th grade please come forward? How's everyone this morning? Good. Happy Pentecost. Great festival day, great feast day of the church. The day when the Holy Spirit comes down upon the church and gives it life. Of course, it happened 2,000 years ago. You know, at Christmas, we talked about Jesus coming into this dark world, and Jesus is the light of this world, right? Jesus is the light of this world. Wherever Jesus is, there is no darkness at all. Jesus is the light. Pretend with me right now that it's completely dark in here. No windows, no lights. You can't see anything in front of you. I have a candle that's not lit. Do you think that's going to do any good? What do I have to do? So I light the candle in this completely dark room and I might not be able to see everybody back there but I know I will be able to see you because light breaks the darkness. Now I believe that when the Holy Spirit came down upon those disciples in the upper room that day we just read in the book of Acts that it was like tongues of fire, tongues of fire on the heads of all the apostles and if you light a candle, it brings light. And I think that those tongues of fire brought the light of Jesus, the light of the Holy Spirit, the light of God. Remember, God is one. That's all the same. I mean, I know there's three persons, but one God. The light of God came down upon the apostles, and they began to shine bright in that dark world. And immediately they began to talk about Jesus immediately and people's lives were changed 3,000 people were brought to Jesus that morning because of the light the Holy Spirit that had lit up the apostles they were waiting for it Jesus said wait for it they waited in prayer and in the upper room in confusion not knowing what to do they waited and the Spirit came and the Spirit is given to us too. And He lights up our hearts. And He wants us to shine in this dark world. And believe me, I watch you all and I see Jesus shining. Now, sometimes you might not know it, and sometimes you might not even want it, but God shines through you because you've been lit up by the Holy Spirit and that light of God shines in you and you walk into a dark world and everybody sees the light of Jesus know that about yourselves know that that's what God does in your life okay all right let's celebrate go get a packet 
or go sing or go whatever. Kind of way we have been. Here you go. Pull. There is a list going around entitled, You Know You Are Getting Older When. And I know that some of these things I'm about to tell you will make some of you laugh and some of you say, hey, that's me. I'm not laughing at that. So, you know you're getting older when you can sit in a rocking chair, but you can't get it going. You know you're getting older when all the names in your little black book have MD behind them. You know you're getting older when your knees buckle, but your belt won't. You, you know you're getting older when you get winded playing chess. <laughs> you know you're getting older when you try to straighten the wrinkles in your socks, then you find out you're not wearing any socks. You know you're getting older when you stop halfway up the stairs and can't remember whether you're going up or going down. And lastly, you know you're getting older when the first thing you hear in the morning is snap, crackle, and pop, and it's not your cereal. See, I told you you wouldn't be laughing because you feel those things every day. To the sermon, there's a little girl who was with her grandmother one bright spring morning they were walking around in the flower garden and as grandmother was inspecting the flowers this little girl decided to try to open up a rosebud with her own two hands but no luck as she would pull the petals open they would either tear or bruise or wilt or just completely break off and finally in frustration she said grandma I just don't understand it when God opens a flower, it looks so beautiful. But when I try, it just comes apart. And grandmother answered, well, honey, there's a good reason for that. God can do it because God works from the inside out. God works from the inside out. That's the great message of Pentecost, isn't it? God works from the inside out. That's what the, fi the disciples finally came to understand. As you Bible scholars already know, Pentecost did not begin with the Christian church. Ancient Jews celebrated the day as a spring harvest festival, the 50th day after Passover. But when the holiday was already centuries old, a religious spin was put on it, and Pentecost came to be the time to remember the giving of the law to Moses up on Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. And so all the way back to the Canaanite days, this season of the year was the time to celebrate the spring harvest. The festival was once considered so important that all Jewish 
men within traveling distance of Jerusalem, around 20 miles, were expected to worship in Jerusalem for this feast. And believe it or not, they wanted to. It was like a Christian celebrating Christmas in Bethlehem. And yes, by the way, it was party time. Pentecost was a festival of new bread and new wine. And while we don't want to make the forebears of our faith sound as though they were irresponsible, this festival was immensely popular and very well attended, not just because it was the religious thing to do, but because this was the only day that a faithful Jew was encouraged to drink in excess. In fact, some rabbis of this period taught that all the Jewish men had to drink to the point of intoxication on this day as a sign of their gratitude to God for the gift of the fruit of the vine. Which makes our first scripture reading even more understandable from the book of Acts when the crowds outside the upper room that morning accused the disciples of being drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. That lesson from Acts chapter 2 recalls that very first Pentecost after the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord, just before he was taken up out of their sight. Our Lord had instructed his disciples to go to Jerusalem to wait, which they had indeed done. For 10 days, off and on, they had this sort of prayer meeting. No doubt they reminisced. They talked about the three incredible years they had traveled the countryside with this most amazing man any of them had ever known, Jesus. And then just seven weeks ago in their time, they had experienced the emotional roller coaster ride of all time. First, seeing their hopes dashed in the horrifying crucifixion of their teacher, only then to be surprisingly shocked by his resurrection from the dead. Then for 40 days, there were occasional appearances from their risen Savior, but those appearances ended when Jesus bid them farewell and disappeared from their sight into a cloud. To be painfully honest, up to this point, Scripture portrays the disciples as pretty much clueless, bumbling fellows who never seem to understand the Lord's teaching, who appear hopelessly taken with themselves and with their own private concerns. However, to their credit, they knew enough to do what they had been told to do, go to Jerusalem and wait. And now it was about to pay off. Pentecost. It began at daybreak with the sound of the ram's horn being blown and a priest standing on the city wall waving a loaf of bread in each hand. The city was full of the sounds of laughter and celebration and everywhere you could see the reunion of family and friends meeting for this great festival. 
No doubt there was a sense of anticipation in the upper room that day, but I doubt that any of the disciples, our friends, envisioned what they were about to experience because suddenly the room was filled with the sound of a mighty wind. Listen to how this wind of God is described by different Bible translators. Weymouth calls it a blast. Moffat calls it a violent blast. The NIV describes it as a violent wind. The NRSV describes it as the rush of a violent wind. The ESV says a mighty rushing wind. One scholar reminds us that no one called it a zephyr, a light gentle breeze. Pentecost did not happen with a zephyr. The Spirit of God came with power and violence, not a destructive violence, but a strength that enabled great accomplishments. As the violent wind shook the room, the disciples knew that something glorious was happening. They were immediately convinced that what they had been waiting for was just beginning. Christ had kept his promise to them. And they would never, ever doubt that their Lord had come to them in this unmistakable, excuse me, unmistakable way. The mighty breath of God was moving among them. Now, I know you've been told several times that that word breath in the Greek and Hebrew languages is another word for wind, is another word for spirits. Breath, wind, spirit is life. We breathe 18 times every minute, 1,080 times every hour, 25,000 times a day. At age 40, you will have had 365 million breaths, each of them a gift from God, the gift of life. A few moments without breath and you are unconscious. A few more moments and you are dead. What natural breath is to the human body, so is the mighty breath of God, the Holy Spirit, to the spirit of a person. We simply cannot live long without either one of them. So the room was filled with the sound of a mighty wind, spirit, breath. Tongues of fire danced on their heads. You know, fire is also very fascinating for us. Little children say they want to grow up to be a firefighter. If you hear that there is a fire in the neighborhood down the block, everybody goes out to watch the fire. On a winter's evening, we like to build a fire, not just for warmth, but for the chance to watch it do its work. On a summer's evening, in the woods, we enjoy gathering around a campfire, not for the warmth, but for the sheer pleasure of being near it. Fire fascinates us. In the Bible, fire is often used as a symbol for God's 
presence as a symbol of God's power. The disciples looked around to see what was happening. They noticed that above each head was what appeared to be a flame, fire, Holy Spirit, power. This fire was Christ's first gift to his church. And that fire, again, was the Holy Spirit, the gift of fire. You know, I wonder if the disciples had any more idea of what to do with the gift like that than we do. I doubt it. But, again, to their eternal credit and to our undying benefits, they did not think of possessing this gift. But instead, they let the gift possess them. I mean, just look at what happened to Peter. Here it was, seven weeks after Peter had turned tail and run. Just seven weeks after Jesus' enemies had murdered him. Just seven weeks after Peter and the others locked themselves in the upper room after the crucifixion for fear that they too would be arrested and crucified. And now, all of a sudden, here was this very same Peter standing up in the center of this city on this great festival day with all these people gathered around where the life of his Lord had been taken, proclaiming to all who would listen the message of the risen Savior. Peter was a changed man. The Holy Spirit had come to him to give him comfort in the place of his fear, to give him encouragement in place of his questions, to give him a challenge in place of his silence. Peter had the fire, or perhaps it would be better said, the fire had Peter. Peter stood up to preach, and that preaching had such power behind it that the church grew from 120 to 3,000 people on that one occasion. That is power. That is Holy Spirit power. Peter probably didn't understand it. I doubt that any of the disciples understood it because that kind of power is beyond human comprehension. But understand it or not, the power, the fire that was there that day, the fire has continued to empower the church through 2,000 years. And you know what? That fire, that power, that Holy Spirit is here this morning at this 845 service. It is still the Lord's gift to his church. The unfortunate thing is that we quite often don't know what to do with it. And quite honestly, we often seem to live as if we would just as soon not have it. And my suspicion is that some of us are afraid of it. It's almost as if someone had given us this, this caged beast. We would be terrified at what would happen if somehow that cage were to be opened. We read the account of what happened to those early disciples at Pentecost. 
we see what a tremendous effect the coming of the Holy Spirit had on them, what an unbelievable difference was made in their lives. And somehow we know that if the Spirit came to us in that way, if the fire and the wind of God would take hold of us as it took hold of them, things would never be the same. And we are sometimes afraid of that. Now the other side of the coin is that we are still fascinated by the fact that there is power in that kind of fire. And we tend to think, wow, what great things could happen in and through us if we would open ourselves to the Holy Spirit like Peter and the other disciples opened themselves. What a witness we would be. What a witness this church would be. And it is true. We would be given such a power that things would never be the same again. But the question is, do we want that kind of Holy Spirit power in this place? Do we want the fire of Pentecost to burn in the North Houston area? Or are we too afraid of it? Are we worried that it might call from us more than we want to give? That it might disrupt our comfortable lives? Friends, my Pentecost challenge to you. Be on fire. Be revived. Live again. Be enthusiastic about being a Christian. Be excited about being in love with Jesus. Be proud of being here at St. Timothy's because this is a holy place. And in this place, God the Holy Spirit is moving in a mighty, mighty way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.